Welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast, hosted by Dave Jenkins. The Equipping You in Grace podcast is a podcast about helping Christians develop a biblical worldview in a conversational tone about issues inside and outside the church. Now, for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. All right, guys, welcome back to the Equip You and Grace podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this show. And on today's episode, Haley uh, Williams joins us again. And she this time, uh, she interviews me on my book, The Word Matters. Uh, this episode, guys, originally appeared on Haley's podcast. I've left it as it is, as it appeared on her show, although... Her intro and outro are not there, uh, but I hope that this conversation will be helpful. I thought that it was very good, and again, I want to encourage you to go ahead and check out Haley's podcast, Kindled, and here's the episode. All right, so today on Kindled, I am chatting with Dave Jenkins. Dave, thank you so much for joining me. It's a pleasure to be with you, as always, Haley. Thank you for your ministry. Yeah, so this is your second time back on Kindled. Um, and he's it's still like me. You. Yeah, he's still. we're still talking, so I guess that's a good sign, right? Yeah, I guess you didn't mess up too bad the first time. Excellent, excellent. <laughs> so uh, I'm, I'm excited to chat with you today. You have um, authored a couple books, but your most recent one is The Word Matters. Uh, and this was uh, published with an organization that I love, G3. And um, I think that's really cool. That makes you in the cool kids club. If you didn't Woo-hoo! know. <laughs> yeah, cool. Don't tell my wife because she thinks I'm just a super nerd. So uh, uh. Okay, there you go. She won't listen to this. So I can I can get away with that. Yes. Um, but I would love to hear before we kind of get into it. Why did you write this book? Yeah, that's that's a really good question. And I think the story really begins when I was in high school and I just began to see I began. This is like early, mid 90s, late 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, so I am 41 going on 42. And I started seeing in the Seattle area, I started seeing friends come back from college and um, just seeing seeing the questions. They were some of them even before deconstruction was even you know, on the horizon, you know, we're talking late nineties. It was there, but they were being impacted by it, you know, at Bible college and they would come back and um, just became very concerned about that. And so I wanted, I, I, I began um, probably like 16 and started reading church history, started reading systematic theology. Um, You know, uh, if you told the 16 year old Dave Jenkins that John frame is, my friend Dave Jenkins has written a solid book on biblical authority. I would have laughed at you because I was reading John Frame at that time and Joel Beakey. And um, but you know, I I was just very concerned, and that concern has only increased over time because you know we we've seen all of these things come up. And I just go back. I just remember my junior year in high school and my golf coach saying, "Keep it simple, stupid." You know. He wasn't calling me stupid, but I, I remember that because I tended with the golf swing on varsity when I played varsity golf to make it too analytical, too uh, thinking too much about it. 
And, uh, you know, like it was something I could master, which is not something I could ever do, even though I was very good at golf. And so I've kind of carried that same kind of approach to when I come, when I have studied theology, what's, what is a thing? You have to understand what a thing is and you have to then start at the basics and we have to go back to the basics. So Mm -hmm. I really wrote this book, um, out of a lot of, you know, 20 plus years Bible college, seminary, ministry experience inside the church, teaching the Bible, preaching the Bible, and just seeing, watching, observing where we're at. And what the big thing that concerns me is, is how we, what what you do with the Bible um, is everything. Mm. And it matters. It matters what we do with the Bible, because the Bible is the only way that we can know God. Mm -hmm. It's a special revelation. And so if we're going to, if we're, there's too many people in the statistics from the Ligonier state of theology and the Gallup poll. And they, they just have told me in uh, time and time again, and just confirmed my experience that you have, you have even older people in the church who aren't formed by the Bible. They're not shaped by the Bible. So I really, I really wrote this book out of two concerns. One, my first book, which I know we talked about. Was I, I talk about it this way in terms of like the, the California wildfire, which I lived in California and now I live in Oregon. But thankfully, um, although, you know, it's not much better politically, but we're, we, I know I can say that on your show. So, mm-hmm. um, but <laughs> so, uh, you know, it, it's it's like a California wildfire person just standing out there and doing nothing biblical illiteracy. And, you know, the church is just, I think, sitting out there and they're just kind of watching this happen and they're not going into the fire like a firefighter would. Mm-hmm. This book is more like the emer- you would take your kid to the emergency room because they have a poison and they need the poison removed. And so hopefully in the first book, I've, I've, I've helped people to discover why they should read their Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, to delight in the God who delights over them and has revealed himself and his authoritative word. And so this book is really trying to get more at the root of it. Here's the here's the here's the medicine that God has given to us. So I do that in a couple of ways. Two, two, I'll just touch on two basic ways that I do that. What first half of the book, I'm just trying to help people understand what the Bible says, how the Bible responds to the issues, how the Bible lays out, and then as well, what the church has taught. Now, when people talk, you know, I'm not sure when this is going to go up, but we're, as we record this, we're in the middle of October, Reformation Month, you know, and um, the reformers wanted to do sola scriptura, which didn't mean that they were against tradition. They wanted to understand tradition in its right and proper place. They wanted to mm-hmm. recover what was lost, you know, in the in the early church over and against the, the Catholic church who was essentially trying to place tradition at, at the same level, we could uh, charitably say, mm-hmm. at worst over the Bible, which mm-hmm. is really the reality, okay? Let's just, let's be honest with that. But that's where that's where we have to ask the question today we fast forward we have the same issue we look at we look out in the culture we look out in the culture of the church and we have to ask uh, the question 
we have people that don't even believe that Jesus is fully God and fully man. They don't even believe Jesus is God. That that was the conclusion from one of the questions from the state of theology. And then and then we have to ask, so people aren't even hearing about a thing that Sean would say helps us to even be a Christian in the first place in First John, you know, why he wrote the gospel, John. And then um, we don't have the right practice. It's not just that we don't have the right theology, it's that we even even if people we charitably say we have that they have the right theology. Where's the practice? And then we look at the sufficiency of scripture, which you mentioned G3. They just did that huge conference on, which I really, I really appreciated them doing that. But the sufficiency of scripture is not just for our life in godliness. It's yes, it's it's for our life. It's it it forms our convictions, but then it's about our practice too. And we have to ask the question: what about our practice? Where are we failing in our practice? And the answer to that is. Ooh, it's it's shocking. It's alarming. Um, the the four the five alarm bells or however you say that you know the yeah. the fire bells should be ringing in your ears. So I wrote mm-hmm. I really just wrote this book to help the average Christian in the pew. They don't even know the issues. They don't even know why how the Bible is under attack. They don't. They might not know what mm-hmm. these terms mean. They might not know you know how. They might have never heard of theological liberalism. They might have never they they might have heard the Christian teaching about marriage and stuff. Mm-hmm. And but they don't understand. They're out there. They go to work. They come back. They go to church. They pay their bills. Maybe they don't pay attention. So I really wanted to write this book to to say, hey, to pastors, here's here's this for that person. Um, here's the per- here's it for the person that even is in, in, interested mm-hmm. in it. And um, because, like I mentioned at the beginning, um, I had a lot of friends that left being Christians, unfortunately, um, uh, because of Bible college, seminary. And uh, I I have just continued to see um, this continue to circle back these issues. And so, yeah, well, you had a a great poll quote there uh, a few minutes ago when you said, you know, what we do with the Bible matters because the Bible is God's inspired word and it is the revelation of God and how we can know him. And um, as you just mentioned with the friends that might've kind of walked away from the faith at Bible college, like, I think we see that so often. And it's probably because those people are just confronted faster than many are with what the Bible says. And they have to decide what am I going to do with this? Am I going to give this its rightful place? Am I going to set this up as the authority over my life? Or am I going to pick this apart as something that I get to decide what it means for me, what it, what implications it, it has on my life? And, um, you know, just like anyone, I, I don't think Bible scholars are, are different in the sense that, you know, we all have to decide uh, what, what we're going to do with the word of God. And there are so many voices today who would like for us to do everything but give it the uh, give it the the authority and the inerrancy and the supremacy that it should have um and you don't have to you don't even have to scroll very far on instagram to see that so mm-hmm. it's uh it's it like you said it is concerning but i'm glad that you wrote it because i will say just for listeners that it's very accessible you don't have to have um 
any sort of prior knowledge of church history. I mean, Dave really explains and gets into those things um, in in a way that is kind of available to pedestrians, but also will give you the knowledge that you need to to have conversations about it. So um, thank you for writing it. I'm sure that was uh, a lot of work <laughs> as books always are. Um, but I have some specific questions for you on the Bible, since that's what we're talking about today. Mm-hmm. What would you say is the single biggest threat that you see today against the authority of scripture? Because you did mention um, tradition in the past with, you know, the, the Reformation and Sola Scriptura. But today, what, how is that manifesting? The the threats to scripture's authority, where would you say you're seeing that the most? Well, I think the, I'll start with the Gallup poll that just came out in July. The, the the myth and fairy tale option. People say that they believe the Bible, and then you look at what they the state of theology in the area of sexual ethics, and especially, and it's like this has always been, and especially you know since the sexual revolution and even before. This is where the fracture line is, where people say, okay, well, I believe the Bible so far as it is the Word of God, but then you have to ask, well, what do you mean? Do you, do you only believe that? So what you really mean is what this really language really means is I only believe part of the Bible that I like. Well, what do you mean by that? What do you mean that you only like part of the Bible? So you want to take out the part about, you know, even in Colossians three before the negative, those negative things that, you know, before he gets to the positive put on Christ um, in Galatians five. And you want to take out. Um, first Corinthians, you know, six about sexual sin, because, you know, we, we even have Methodists. I, I write about this in the book. You even have in the last 20 years, you have Methodists and other people in mainline denominations dying, dying because they don't take the Bible as the word of God. They say, oh, I believe that it's reliable and trustworthy, but reliable and trustworthy for what? We have to ask. It, it's not from my life and godliness then, because you don't believe the whole Bible. You don't want to teach about, you don't want to be against women pastors. You want to be for women pastors and you have women pastors in your churches. And uh, then, then you have all sorts of other issues uh, in the P- PC USA. You had the, that famous hymn uh, by the Gettys in Christ alone. Okay, great. Uh, but they wanted to remove the part about the wrath of God because they didn't want to have the parts about the wrath of God. Well, if you don't have the wrath of God, you might as well rip out Romans and the rest of the New Testament. Right. Um, and 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 Jesus is teaching because, I mean, all the gospels at that point, because Jesus talks mm-hmm. more about hell than anybody in the Bible. So, you know, where is the fracture line? Um, where's the line? What is the greatest issue? Well, I, I think it's honestly, Haley, um, some people would say that the battle for the Bible is over. It's done. It's it's still there. But, you know, because we fought it, we won and we didn't win um, because we didn't really, I think, press home like Jesus did the the truth about Scripture into people's lives enough. Um, so you have people that can say, I believe this and that, and they they will give you a church answer. Right. But then you look at their life, you look at the statistics, and you look at the culture, and you look at what's happening in the church, and it should give us a lot of pause, right? I, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and and when I see that, I'm not saying that, that Martin Luther was right in the Reformation. He used a phrase, "Single justice el pector," 
we are at the same time saint and sinners. Um, so when we talk about issues in the church, Jesus Christ is still the head over the church. There, he he is, you know, undefeated. Um, he, he he says in Matthew eighteen that the gates of hell will not uh, stand against the church. You know, he will do his work and the church will be beautiful because he bled and died for the church to present it, as Ephesians 5 says, blameless before him. Um, but that that said, the church is beautiful, but we, you know, it's been said and it's true. If you walk into a church uh, as a sinner, you know, that church isn't going to be perfect anymore. Um, it's it's just not. Um, mm-hmm. So when we talk, we have to say this in in this kind of way, because the church does have issues. But the Savior is sufficient. Um, the Spirit is at work in us to make us more like Christ. Um, and so, so we can say that the church has issues, but we need to be careful to say Christ is still sinless. Christ is still perfect. Christ is the one who saves. Christ is the one who's transforming people in to be more like him. But the, but the greatest fault line is that, I, I and I've seen this, in leading Bible studies and preaching, teaching, doing podcasts, writing articles, reading the statistics, reading the books. We have a generation of people that say they believe the right things about the Bible, and yet they live totally godless lives that are, you have, it makes you wonder, ask the question, at least in the back of your head, do you really believe this? And that's being as charitable as I can say it. Uh, do you really believe? the bible mm-hmm. if you really believe the bible over here your marriage would be different um your relationships would be totally different the way that you mm-hmm. engage at work the way you spend your money the way you steward your life the way that you engage as a neighbor that i mean on and on and on because theology coming from god's word should impact our lives i mean there's so many verses right. uh titus talks about that how the truth is to adorn our lives, the fruit of the spirit, the things that the spirit is doing in our lives. So you, you ask about, you know, that fault line. And I just want to say it's, it's practice, but it's also now I think it's also just doctrinally like we we have to get back. You know, you know, there was a great conference and I loved it. The Puritan conference. We have to get back to that kind of vision where and to that kind of ministry where people are they're they're hearing the bible they don't have to hear an hour-long sermon but they need to be drenched in the bible they need to be saturated in the bible that the ministry of the church is supposed to be grounded and shaped by the bible um and it's not and and we have to we have to somebody has to say the the things that matter and that's what i appreciate about you you Mm -hmm. say the things that that are that are really mattering and i'm just i'm just out here you know, trying to do the same. Yeah. Um, because well, I, Oh, go, go ahead. ahead. Sorry. Yeah. No, no, no. I can keep going on and on. So, you, well, you know. I, I, I really like what you just said there about, um, uh, oh gosh, no, it's, I'm blinking. Um, we have to, yes, the ministry of the church is to teach the Bible and to preach the Bible and, and to teach people how to understand and read and even teach the Bible themselves. Um, and I know you're in a church that's doing that. I'm in a church that's doing that, that taught me how to do that. You know, I've been in a women's study for the last year that um, called Simeon Trust, where, you know, I've been learning with my pastor's wife and several other ladies how to read God's word, 
form a teaching on God's word, how to teach other women what it says and what it means by what it says and and how to do that faithfully and staying on the line of scripture and not going above or below and not, you know, um, using it as a platform for my own opinions or for my own agendas. Um, but that's what we see so much of right now in pulpits across America is we see this kind of um, leveraging of God's word for for whatever agenda people may have. It's like, uh, you know, I'm here to do this and I might share some Bible verses with you along the way. Uh, isn't that why we're here? You know, there's a steeple on the building. I guess I should open, I, I guess I should share a couple, a couple verses that I, you know, have here on my iPad, but I, but I'm not preaching. I'm not teaching. I'm just merely entertaining. And, um, and that, that, that's the same thing that I shared, you know, when I came on your podcast was my biggest concern was just what we see in, in pulpits. And if people aren't learning scripture from their local church, they're not learning it. You know, that's, that's what we yeah. see by and large. I know that God can do anything. And and sometimes he does just, uh, you know, obviously he can open spiritual eyes of, yeah. of hearts on without anyone's help, but yeah. But obviously that's his means of of growing individuals yeah. and, and building up the body. So and what uh, you're, what you're yeah. touching on is so important because we have a you have a way of interpreting the Bible, but it has to be said and it needs to be said today that that view of how we interpret the Bible comes from how we understand what the Bible is itself. Mm-hmm. So without that, you're always going to get the wrong interpretation. You're always going to have the wrong method of ministry. You're always going to not be preaching the Bible to people. And we have mm-hmm. to say that today because we have real, real challenges out there and people really need to hear God's word. But we need to have our pastors. We need to have those who are preaching the Bible, having the right view of what the Bible is so that when they get up to preach and then they get up to right. equip God's people, they will actually do that. And they'll expose, as we both try to do, it, the faulty interpretations, which behind mm-hmm. those those faulty interpretations is a faulty view of the Bible. Right. It's like the Bible is not good advice. The Bible is God's word. Yeah. If you view it as just good advice, you know, a, a book of um, moral moral suggestions or some tips and tricks for how to uh, live a more happy and whole, you know, healthy life. Like you, you are going to preach the way that a lot of pastors are with just very little regard. And, um, and that does concern both of us. I want to shift gears a little bit to the the topic of um you mentioned deconstruction earlier. Yeah. The reason people, you know, head towards that um I think starts with like this question of do I have to accept everything in the Bible literally? Do I have to read this as a literal book or is there another way I should read it? Should I read it as, you know, potentially metaphor or should I read this, you know, in in a in a different light? Uh, so what what would you say to that? Do people have to accept the Bible literally? Yes. Yes to that. You know, okay. one one thing that one thing that's interesting about that, just just to get into it a little bit, and I've been working and studying this, but what what Derrida wanted to do is he wanted to take away meaning. And what we see uh even in this in this conversation uh, is even the our culture recognizing that. What deconstruction wants to do is it strip away meaning from words, and they're recognizing that if that happens, 
guess what's going to happen? We're not even going to be able to teach our kids. And they're like, hello, somebody is paying attention, you know, and uh, we better be paying attention about that because it really it really does matter. And now when we come to the question about this, we have meaning because we God has spoken. He has spoken finally. He's spoken fully in the 66 books of the word of God. And so we can know the truth, right? That's what special revelation. Some people say it's the true north. Um, I had I had one elder in, in high school in high school say, uh, yeah, the Bible is your true north, meaning that it's it's an anchor, as the author of Hebrews says, to the soul. You know, it contains a second uh, Corinthians 1.20 says the promises of God in Christ. And so, you know, it, it's enough for us. It's it's reliable. It's trustworthy. It's clear. It's binding. It's sufficient. It, it's it's good. It's it's and it tells us about Christ. And um, so when we come to that, the, to the question, you know, about this, about deconstruction, about meaning, about truth, about how we do things. What deconstruction is trying to do is it's trying to give us a different mode of interpretation. The Bible, it's been said, is its own best interpreter, meaning that because we believe the Bible to be the word of God, we believe then that out of this that we should interpret it rightly in context, uh, understanding what it means, what the whole story of the Bible means, um, how – and Jesus does this, and the best example I can think of is Luke 24 – where he goes on the road to Emmaus and he and he teaches them about you know the the Old Testament and how it's centered on on himself you know and mm-hmm. he preaches this message over and over again. In fact, if you look at John's Gospel, he spends uh, four chapters John uh, thirteen through seventeen in Luke's Gospel. He does the same thing when he's turning his face in Luke nine fifty one towards Jerusalem. He's he's spending that time teaching the disciples. And then, you know, we have the Garden of Gethsemane event, and then we have him headed towards the cross and, uh, of course, paying the penalty in our place and for our sin, being buried and rising again and all of those, all of those things. So we, ha- we have to, we have to, we have to have a conversation that we, in, in the last five years or so, you know, Oxford Dictionary use this word post-truth. We have to be clear that we have truth. Um, we don't need to hear from a prophet or apostle or anybody else. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they don't have a word for us that's better than God. Um, yeah. We have a word from God, and it is it is final. It is full. It says he, uh, Hebrews one one through two says Jesus is the last word. You know, when when um, Pilate asked what what is truth, uh, that is a significant question that mm-hmm. that uh, we we have truth because of Christ the King. We have truth because God has revealed himself from cover to cover. So we can know the truth. We can love the truth. And we we can know the one who gave us the truth. And that's Jesus. Um, he says he's mm-hmm. the way, the truth, and the life, John 14, 6. We can know the truth. He said he's the truth. He showed himself to be the truth. In fact, what's interesting, and I often go back to this, he finished, Jesus finishes his Sermon on the Mount, and he's that people recognize that he's not giving opinions. He's recognized, people are recognizing in Matthew uh, 7, uh, 25 through 26. Yeah, uh, that here's one who's teaching them with authority over, over and against the the scribes who are teaching and the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees that are teaching them their opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we have to, 
kind of touching on the last question too, with this question, we have to be clear that we have the truth and the truth means that we have meaning. And that means that we have to be really clear about that, especially not only in over and against the new apostolic reformation, not only over and against the current battles, but that there is actually something that the Bible means. And behind that is, is the God who never lies. Titus one or yeah, Titus one, two says, and so we can trust this God. We can believe this God. This God is unchanging. He's holy, righteous, and perfect, and majestic in all of His ways. So, yeah, you're gonna. You're, I, could, I could just keep going. So I'll I'll just stop there. I know you could. We're we're similar in that way. Um, I would like to ask you about. Uh, you talk some in the book about um, you know Second Timothy for an itching ears. Um, and speaking of post-truth, you know, Paul has a lot to say about that and, and how, uh, lies are adopted both outside and more importantly, inside the church. And, um, I, I think we see that a lot today. We've touched on that some, but, um, where do you see, uh, itching ears working itself out the most? You've mentioned a couple different things like the new apostolic reformation, um, other areas that, that might concern you right now. Do you yeah. have any thoughts about what the the next the next thing is? The next because there's always something, right? With with yeah. when it comes to itching ears, there's always some new scratch. So um, what are your thoughts on that? Like where where are we headed next? I think I think what we're seeing is the answer to that. You're seeing the new apostolic reformation. There's a book coming out by Holly Pivick, who's an expert on the new apostolic reformation here in the next uh, month um in November. And she connects the new apostolic reformation to the new age. And it's an interesting idea because, you know, the new age is kind of, it's been there on the periphery, mm -hmm. but it's kind of, it, you know, in the last couple of years, especially we've seen it burst forth in full bloom, but, you know, it makes sense to me because what the NAR wants to do is they think that God still has, there's still apostles and prophets for today. And they're all about control and then what the what the new age wants to do is, you know, there's there's still some sort of mystical aspect of things. And to me, the new the any the new apostolic reformation is very much that way. And so they're they're kind of in a way kind of merging, mm -hmm. um, I think, is what we're what we're seeing. And, and you know, you 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 have seen so many people and I, the area I live especially is inundated with the new apostolic reformation here in Southern Oregon. Um, it is a hotbed because Bethel is mm -hmm. only four hours away from my house, four hours south mm -hmm. of where I live. And so, you know, you're, you're seeing all these things explode. And I think what we're going to see is you're going to see that go further and you're going to see it go further because of Romans one. Uh, mm -hmm. When you reject the authority of God and you reject the authority of his word, you're always going to want to have your ears tickled. You're not going to want to be told, hey, you know, you're a sinner by nature and by choice and you need rescue uh, from uh, the, and pardon from Christ. And um, you need life. You need accountability. Uh, <laughs> there's the there's the A word, right? You need accountability. You need the help of other people because you you miss the mark. Uh, you mm -hmm. miss the mark. You you have things that you need to to hear and say. Um, by the way, like like you were saying on the podcast, like and it's so true. Men need to step up and lead in, in the home as well in this in this regard because it starts with you know family worship, gathering your family around the Bible, the Word of God, whether you have kids or not. 
Uh, don't advocate that responsibility and don't just give your kid over to the youth pastor or to the elder and without any like, yeah, there's, they're supposed to shepherd and, and lead the, the lead, lead your family and lead the church. But that doesn't mean that you have parents advocate their responsibility in the home. Mm -hmm. Pastors and elders are come alongside that and to aid that and to nurture that, um, you know, and and that was a that was actually something that the Puritans really did really well. Um, they went and did this. You know, they checked on, and it was actually a matter of church discipline. If you were uh, if you were a man and you weren't leading your family, it was a matter of church discipline mm -hmm. because you needed to lead your home. Uh, right. And and you know whether 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 that's needed today or not i mean that's another conversation but we do have to get back to men not advocating their responsibility we do have to get back to just stressing the parents role of leading their children um in a, in a cult cultural moment we do have to get back to to personally you know ourselves uh in encouraging our spouse you know um you know i know you have a lot of uh, uh of women that listen to this encourage your if you're a if you're a, a mom or you know a wife even and if you don't have kids, encourage your husband to get in the Bible. Encourage him to lead in this way, and and just sit back and and let that you know let let encourage it, but just sit back and watch you know uh, encouraging him to follow and lead in in a way that honors God. Um, encourage him in that, and and you know. That doesn't mean, you know, you, you have conversations about how that's going privately. Uh, I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying, like, encourage that. We need to foster that. When pastors need to encourage that from the pulpit. It's 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 a it's a priority. You, men are paying attention. And if so, if you're a pastor or you're a pastor's wife that listens to this. Encourage, encourage your husband to lead in this way, encourage him to lead, in, encourage the men of the church to get in the Bible, to lead. Um, that's how, that's how things can turn in it, but it starts, it starts with one man at a time. It starts, you know, by God using the word, right. To bring conviction, to bring help, the, the help of the word, the means of grace, we would say um, we, we need this and, and men need one another to come alongside of each other. Uh, otherwise, you know, we're, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to be banging. We can sound the alarm all day long, but you know, we also have to hit some of the positive aspects of things um, yeah. as well. And, and there are a lot of negative and there are a lot of concerning things, but you know, pastors can do, this is something proactive that, that we can do and a men's ministry leader can do and a wife can do and um, is encourage their husband to lead in a, lead the home uh, talk about that on your social media. Uh, don't don't just say, "Oh, you know what? That's Dave. That's Haley. That's whatever they are out there doing it." No, you do it. You get in the Bible. You study it. You use whatever mm -hmm. platform, whatever voice, whatever. Because you know what? Uh, it can't just be me. It can't just be you. It can't be just somebody else. It can't be just because I wrote some book. Um, we got to have everybody. It's all hands on deck, and we are all. Um, have an, a role to play um, mm -hmm. as disciples Absolutely. of Christ. So, yeah, I agree 100%. I think that's kind of one of my least favorite things about um, what what social media has done is, you know, just really fuel the creation of a Christian celebrity culture where 
uh, people can sit back and watch, you know, everyone else do the things, whether it's writing a book or hosting a podcast or, or putting a post out as though that's like the summation of being a Christian, you know, making your opinion known on the internet, like that's not it. And then, you know, people just kind of feel like it's getting done by someone. And so they just don't necessarily believe that it's for them, that the Bible is for them and that those instructions are for them. Like you were saying earlier. Um, and I, I know some of that has come from, um, something else you talk about in your book, uh, this idea of theological liberalism, which, you know, my listeners will probably have some immediate thoughts about. Um, but I really like how you describe it in the book as theology from below. And, um, it made me think about, you know, um, I don't know when this is airing. I think mine, this, this episode is going to air a few days in advance of, of when, my conversation with you will air on your podcast, but uh, I talked with you about gentle parenting. And I think in many similar ways, uh, that's that's a theology from below, or that's a parenting philosophy from below, whereas biblical parenting is from above. And so um, could you talk a little bit about what theological liberalism is and yeah. why you describe it as uh, a theology from below? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, theology from above comes from God. It comes from special revelation. His reliable, trustworthy, clear, binding uh, for every every phase, every stage, or or for life and godliness, the sufficiency of scripture, and it's binding on our lives. So this is a theology from above. A theology from below is what we're talking about, where where your feelings and your the Bible are at the same level. Now, I have to be clear about this because whenever I've said that on an interview, some people have heard that and say, well, God's against my feelings. No, not saying that. We're saying that the Bible interprets our feelings, not that God is against our feelings. The Bible, we could say, is to regulate our feelings. Mm -hmm. You go look at the Psalms. You go look at the instruction for the Christian, which is their imperatives, Mm -hmm. Because of the imperative is something that we're commanded to do because of what God has done in Christ. You know, the indicative, you can say, which is what Christ has done, feels the imperative, what we're to do, what we're commanded to do because of the presence and the help of the Holy Spirit. So this is these are really important things for us. And um, so our feelings are to inter be interpreted not by what Dave thinks, you know, like the self-help movement, the the feel-good mm -hmm. moment, the the whatever, um, it, it affects your parenting. It's scripture, scripture. You have to go back to what the Bible says. Just mm -hmm. if I could just say to all these situations, to all these issues, all we have to do is get back in the Bible. We have to get back in the Bible personally, ourselves, read it, study, meditate, apply it. Um, you know, all those things, do life with God's people. These issues will iron themselves out. Biblical literacy, on and on and on. So when we when we talk about theological liberalism, like we're, I've actually thought about it in this way: it's it's a method of interpreting the Bible that undercuts the authority of the Bible. We could say, because what it does mm -hmm. is it it says, you know what, that part of the Bible I don't like. That part of the Bible I want out about sexual ethics. In fact, some people have actually said that. Mm -hmm. Just get rid of the part. I just want the part. If we can get rid of the parts about telling me about what to do with my my sexual organs, my sexual parts, great. Um, and you you, know, you just you said in the book that it looks first to human experience 
Yes. I think that's yeah. the part that made me think of gentle parenting because gentle parenting does the same thing. Like, let's start with the human versus starting with what God says. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And and we go ahead. Oh, no. What? Yeah. Go, what were you going to say? I was just going to say that, you know, we're living in a time when there are these uh, ungodly interpretations out there. And we just have to go back to the Bible. We have to understand what the Bible is, what it what it what it constitutes, and what you know the sixty six books. And then then we'll be able to have we'll be able to understand. Hey, this is what God means by this text because I I believe the right thing about the Bible. So if we don't we if we don't believe the right things about the Bible, we're always going to as I think I said earlier, you're always going to have the wrong. You're always going to arrive at the wrong conclusion because you're not going to believe what the Scripture teaches. And so um, over and against theological liberalism, which casts doubt on the Bible, it minimizes the Bible. Um, and people don't want that. They, they've, they've clearly spoken uh, over and over again. People have in droves left um, mainline denominations because they're tired of, you know, fuzzy, feel good, you know, hug me kind of Jesus. They they want the biblical Jesus. They want the Son of God and the Son of Man revealed in the mm-hmm. Bible from cover to cover. That's why, even in the last ten years or so, we've seen uh, Crossway, and maybe it's even the five six years we've seen the short studies in biblical theology series come along. The short studies in in systematic theology come along because people the Crossway knows that people are hungry, and the editors know that people are hungry for for this kind of idea. Which, by the way, that that is actually a hugely encouraging thing, um, because of because what theological liberalism wanted to do is they they wanted to not only cast doubt on the Bible but on the person of Jesus and to minimize him from the Bible to actually take you know have a historical Jesus rather than the Jesus of the Bible, mm-hmm. and so they wanted to redefine Jesus. And so this this to me is just my wife and I were talking about this the other day. It actually really encourages me. It should encourage the the church that we're seeing these kind of resources be put out because it Mm -hmm. says that people are getting the message that we do have issues. And the only way to address these issues is to get these kind of resources into people's hands. Right. So, yeah. Well, you kind of just started to touch on um, one of the last questions I wanted to ask you, which was um, I think when it comes to, you know, the reason that you wrote this book, like it's, it was kind of this ominous realization that so many people were deconstructing and people were walking away from these uh the the right beliefs they they should have about the bible and then that was leading them into all kinds of other teachings um because they're like just so people are hearing that i think what you're what you're talking about is like we first have to understand how to think about the bible as a whole in order to even start addressing its particular texts like and the particular scriptures inside of it right yeah so so we, we can't just go to scripture Right. As as a skeptic or as an unbeliever and expect that we're going to arrive at the right answer if we don't even believe that it's all of these things that that it says it is. And so um, in light of the fact that, you know, uh, kind of a, a difficult circumstance inspired you to write it and a sad reality around us, which we've highlighted, uh, where where can you point us to, you know, not just end us on a positive note, but. Um, you know, help people be encouraged, help people know maybe how to engage with family members who might be really falling away from, you know, sound Christian teaching and, and falling into some of these insta theology 
um, just the, all these random directions that, uh, that are, that are catching people everywhere from their phone to even potentially their local church. So what, what would your word of encouragement be to those people? Learn to ask good questions, learn to pay attention, learn to be involved, learn to be intentional. Um, you know, the most, the most important thing that we can do is love people with the truth, not just, you know, not just love people because you love people, but love them with the truth. And sometimes that means that you're going to have that conversation. And other times that's going to mean that, you know, that you, you're not going to have that conversation. Mm -hmm. There's, there's a wisdom there. There's, there's in Proverbs talks about in the abundance of, of, of counselors, there's wisdom. And we need wisdom to be able to navigate this. We, we need to go to our pastor. Um, we need to go to our elders. We need to be able to talk to friends that have been through season. There's not a cookie cutter approach that we say, hey, here's a Band-Aid because um, you got an owie on your hand because, you know, you, you have a kid that's hurt. Um, the, people are whole people. They have whole problems. And until we start dealing with the whole issue and start to see people as, as whole people in holy need of, of Christ and and the word of God and, the, you know, the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit through the word and all of that, um, we're not going to be able to to even start to have those conversations because we're going to come to them and say, here's five ways that you need to stop doing that um, instead of, hey, I can t I can say one thing at a time. One conversation at a time, mm -hmm. I can really just say advice. pray, I can just I can sit that means I can sit and pray. And that is actually even maybe even better than giving them five things to do. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I'm not saying I just want to be clear. Somebody might hear that as saying, I don't ever you don't ever have the hard conversation, but we have to find out where the history is. We have to find where the hurt is. We have to go back and and find out where that starts, mm -hmm. because until you I, I, I'm just reminded of this, just thinking about this until a, and a doctor. We began talking about the book and about emergency room doctor. You would take your kid, you know, because they have a, po a poison that doctor is going to take out the poison. Until we're willing to go back and deal with the poison that has affected that person, that that person's issue, by understanding what they're going on, we can't even begin to to help them. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm reminded of of Greg Greg Gilbert. I interviewed him, and he told a story about this guy. He was struggling with assurance, and um, I, I remember this to just just to illustrate the point a little bit more. He would he 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 just let the guy talk. What what is he was just asking him a bunch of questions like a good pastor does, and it turned out that he got to the issue, and then he gave him the the right medicine, and that's what we have to do. We have to get back to asking the questions. We have to get back to understanding the history of where people are, what they've gone through, and then and only then can we take the medicine of the sufficient word and the gospel in the word and apply it in the right way, in the right spirit, with the right motives, which is we're commanded to do, but we have to get back to that. And James 122, um, I'll tell I'll tell a story. When I got out of high school, I was the guy probably that would have rammed you with the Bible. And I remember it took me a long time. My dad wrote me a letter out of high school and he said, Jabe, son, James 122, be quick, be 
be slow to speak, quick to listen. And that's kind of what I'm talking about. Just go back to that. Be slow to to speak, quick to listen, and pray and intercede. And, you know, it might take, it might take a year. It might take 10 years. It might take 15 years. It might not ever happen. Um, but God is still sovereign. Um, he's still a good God. Yeah. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And his, his will will be done. Mm. Yeah, that's so true. That's our comfort in life and death, right? That we are his and um, that his will will be done. And so we can, we can rest in that regardless of the circumstances that we are in today. So, man, thank you so much, Dave. I really appreciate you sharing your wisdom. And um, I hope that people will check out your book, The Word Matters. Uh, where can they connect with you online? Yeah, you can find me on uh, Instagram, um, you know, Dave Jenkins, or, you know, if you see my face, my picture, you can check out our, my podcast, Cooking Grace, or anything like that. I'm on Facebook. I'm on all the social medias. I try to be there. Um, you know, you can email me. I've actually had people email me from the first interview. So you can email me. I'm not afraid of email. Dave at servicegrace.org. And uh, so, yeah. Great. I, I enjoyed being on here. Thank you. Thanks so much, Dave. Well, guys, I want to thank you for listening or watching this episode of the Equipping and Grace podcast. It has uh, been so good to talk with Haley. Uh, she is really, uh, she asks really good questions. Uh, she engages the issues. She's not just out here, guys, uh, talking. Uh, she's speaking to the issues of our day, and she's doing so in a way that is very commendable. Uh, we need more Christians that are thoughtful, that are engaging the issues, that are speaking to them from God's Word because they're rooted and grounded in God's Word. They're grounded in the local church, and they're serving the local church, and they're trying to help God's people to grow. And so Haley is a blessing. I think that if you're a lady, you should definitely be following Haley on Instagram or Facebook, and you should definitely uh, check out Haley's podcast. We'll be having her back on uh, in the coming days and and weeks ahead. But I want to thank you for listening uh, to uh, Equip You and Grace. If you guys enjoy this show, please tell your friends, tell your family about us. That's how, by God's grace, we continue to grow. And uh, I encourage you to share these episodes with your friends and family. All right, guys. Well, until next Monday and Wednesday, may God bless you and keep you. Thank you for listening to the Equipping You and Grace podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate us on the app, and share this with your friends and family on social media. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter at Servants of Grace, on Instagram at Servants of Grace, or by searching at Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this episode and many others like it on the front page of our website, servantsofgrace.org.